Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. City News. Hello, good evening. Welcome to Eyewitness News coming to you live from our studios at number 11, Dr. Martin Loop in Adabraka, Accra. My name is Salom Adonu. Tonight I'm here with... Eno Safo. Coming up over the, 90, the next 90 minutes, no consensus on Chief Justice nominee Gertrude Tokonu, who appeared before the Appointments Committee of Parliament earlier today, as minority MPs want a second bite at their cherry when the Supreme Court's reasons in the Jechikwesin judgment are ready. But committee chair, uh, Jose Wusu, will not have any of that. Well, it is our practice that any time we finish with a public hearing, the committee sits and considers whether to recommend the person or not. So the conclusion we came to is that there was no consensus. More on that a bit later. Also on Eyewitness News, is day two since justice delivery at the court's ground to a halt owing to JUSAC strike. We will find out what discussions are ongoing uh, and when court proceedings will resume. Later on, Eyewitness News brisk activity at the MPP headquarters as Boache Jaco and Dr. Baumia pick up forms to contest the party's flag bearership on first day of opening nominations. More to follow in the coming days. We'll touch base with the various camps. Stay with 97.3 City FM for more on this and other stories on Eyewitness News and in business. Business community pushes government to create an enabling environment for businesses to thrive despite securing deal with IMF. There is more in business in the next 50 minutes. Your comments are welcome via our WhatsApp line 0549986996. 996 eyewitness news is live across the country on all our affiliates and around the globe on citynewsroom.com you can also follow me on twitter at selom the hashtag as always is city uh, newsroom to our very first story now the chief justice nominee uh, justice uh, gertrude talk on today appeared before parliament to be vetted in that constitutional requirement uh, before she gets finally appointed to the position by the president a vetting which took close to two a bit over two hours uh covered questions around her views on capital punishment uh, her views on lgbt and many other things but one thing which came out quite clearly uh was the minority's unhappiness with that jechi question uh decision and according to the minority they are still awaiting reasons for that you know judgment which uh, called for Jackie Kwesin's name to be expunged from the records of Parliament. If you may recall, a um, couple of days ago, the Supreme Court uh, gave a decision where it directed that Jackie Kwesin's name be expunged from the records of Parliament. And Justice Tokoni was on that seven-member panel. So when she appeared before the House today, the, the committee today, the committee, uh, according to the minority, are unable to question her on that judgment because they want the reasons you know, uh, uh, or the reasoning of the bench in arriving at that conclusion. The, the Supreme Court uh, on the day said they were going to make the reasons available uh, uh, in the next coming days. And indeed, I must state that that is very um, usual and that very regular in, in the Supreme Court. So the minority MP said they wanted a second bite 
at the cherry when those reasons were ready. Uh, let's hear minority leader uh, Dr. Kesalatu Force in making that point before the vetting itself uh, started. Um, this is not the first time we are going to have the opportunity to vet Justice Gertrude Araba Isabasaki Tokono. However, our job here today will be focusing on evaluating her judgment or ruling from the time she went to the Supreme Court to today. Um, we've been able to secure most of the rulings and the judgment from that she was able to participate on. So that is largely what we will be doing. Um, unfortunately, there is one of them that um, we are not able to get the reasoned ruling on the matter. That has to do with a recent case involving our colleague, the Honorable Kwesin. We are of the view that we should be given the opportunity to um, get a copy of the ruling so that we can be able to um, ask her questions based on her ruling. We are going to start the vetting, obviously, um, using the information that we have. But unfortunately, we cannot conclude on the matter until we have the ruling on um, the latest um, judgment for that she took part. So the chairman, I think it's pretty straightforward. Um, um, it's pretty straightforward. As I said, she's not new to us. Um, she's been around for some time. So you heard the minority leader, uh, Dr. Keseratu Forsen, articulating the views of the minority um, earlier today. Meanwhile, Chairman of the Appointments Committee of Parliament, uh, Joe Osewusu, has made it clear that Justice Gertrude Tokonu, uh, the Chief Justice nominee, will not undergo a second vetting. Uh, City News' Richie Sky managed to catch up with the committee chairman right after the meeting uh, to find out what the committee's next step will be. My view is that she was brilliant. She answered all the questions expertly. She demonstrated that she, her integrity is intact. And for me, she's fit for the job. She's completely, I think, the competition recommend her to the House for okay. approval. And, and I noticed that subsequently you had a meeting, which meeting I believe would have dealt with you know, issues that came up during her vetting. What was the conclusion of the meeting between members of the committee? Well, it is our practice that any time we finish with a public hearing, the committee sits and consider whether to recommend the person or not. So the conclusion we came to, the same that there was no consensus. The, in fact, it started before the vetting. You would recall that Honorable Ayariga made a statement that unless they get a copy of the case involving a single North MP, yeah. they will not support the nominee. Well, uh, they came to the vetting with a position, do this for me or I don't. Mm -hmm. We went through the vetting cleanly, mainly. We are satisfied that there's no basis for deferring the decision because you want to read the judgment. No. So they also argue that because they have not read the judgment, they won't support it. So it is a, uh, one of um, a fixed position versus what is the, the so, true position. So, so given that you don't have a position, asking you have not reached a consensus, mm -hmm. what is likely to be the way forward well, in terms of how you approach? We recommend her 
for uh, approval by a majority decision. Okay, but in terms of the substance of the minority's argument, they suggest that they've not seen the, the, the judgment of the court and therefore they are unlikely to do anything further in terms of recommending her for approval. Some argue that that could well be an attempt to intrude into the space of the judiciary because they seem to be forcing, as one person put it, the hands of the judiciary to release a judgment ahead of the scheduled time. What's your view on, on, on that? Well, I'm truly not interested in... My view, my job here mm -hmm. is to do the public hearing and after that we come to a conclusion. We recall at the end of it, I announced that nobody has been refused the permission to ask any question. Every opportunity has been afforded members to ask any questions they want. At the conclusion, we have to take a decision. Now, I asked, in, in view of our standing orders, what would be my justification for deferring a decision? I don't have any justification. The committee cannot justify why it should defer a decision because of a matter which has been concluded by a panel, not her. Mm -hmm. Even if she's the one who writes the judgment, she'll be writing a judgment on behalf of the committee. He'll be reporting the group's decision. So what is the basis for saying, unless I read, or if she's not the one who writes the judgment? In, yeah, so, so for me, I can't justify why we should defer the decision as a position, and therefore they say well, they will not support her. It's okay, we support her. So we, the report will say she's recommended by a majority decision. Okay, but would you say that the position of the minority is sound in law or not sound? In law. I will not make any judgment on their position. I say I cannot justify deferring a decision based on that position. Whether that sound of law or not is up to them. But I think that I'm governed by the standing orders. The standing orders have not given me room to defer a decision because somebody wants to read a judgment which has not been delivered. So for the records, you are unlikely to call a second meeting for purposes of vetting the nominee. Is that what it is? <laughs> there's, there's no basis. There's absolutely no basis for um, recalling her. There's no issue that was, uh, was not resolved. There was no question that she did not answer. In fact, for those who paid attention, the minority that was the pers last person to ask questions on the, on the part of the minority, and she asked questions related to this same judgment. She gave her the opportunity. She explained how they draw conclusions and how the decisions that are taken is the decision of the group. And that some different people may re re uh, write some aspects of the judgment and then they put them together. That's why it's called decision of the court. Very finally, in, in, on this particular matter, you said that you would have allowed questions regarding, you know, various things. Where you felt that a question was in excess of requirement, you would have intervened. But on the specific matter of the reasons informing the decision of the court, because the minority had not seen the judgment, would you have allowed questions regarding the matter, even if... You know, they had not seen the, 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 the judgment as they, 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 they had said. You see, as long as a question relates to the eligibility, the qualification, the integrity and performance of the nominee, I would have no 
justification in refusing it. Our rules are very clear how we manage it. But sometimes I overlook, sometimes when we go beyond the rules, people asking personal questions which are ordinarily not allowed, I overlook it. Sometimes I just say, reframe your questions so that we can work. But it's the same thing. If you have reason to ask anything relating, and I truly, in the morning when they brought this thing, I suggested that, to the best of my knowledge, the principle of eligibility, when the eligibility criteria pricing has been decided in the case involving uh, Zeneto. Yeah. So I said, if I were you, I would go for that judgment mm -hmm. and then use that as a guide to ask questions to clarify matters into the answer. Well, they did not take advantage of that. But for me, there's nothing new in that judgment. Even though I haven't read it, the conclusion could have been foretold. All dependent on the date and time. Yeah. The Supreme had already made that decision. <laughs> Unless something different or some, the circumstance was different, it was clear that it was the same principle that was going to be applied. My very final question, sir. In your assessment, what do you think has been the quality of work done generally by your committee? Did you ask the right questions? Did you, were you value for money for the good people of Ghana in terms of auditing the capacity of the nominee to do the job? I think you should be evaluating me. I don't believe in self-evaluation. But what do you I work to I work to serve the public. The public should be giving me feedback. Are we doing the proper thing? If you... The feedback we get suggests that we could improve it. We will learn from it. But let me not be the one doing that. Honorable Joe is chairman of the Appointments Committee of Parliament. You heard him there in that interview with uh, Richard Sky. Eyewitness News on 97.3 City FM. Let's hit the phone lines and speak to one of the key actors in today's uh, vetting, uh, the Honorable Mahama Yariga. Indeed, he did not ask a question. He said he was deferring his questions until when the, 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 the reasons in, in that judgment uh, were, were made available. Uh, and so he joins us on the line to, to, to help us appreciate really whether there's been any change in his position in view of what we've heard from the uh, chairman of the appointment committee. Hello, good evening, sir. Welcome to Eyewitness News. Of course, we, we, we saw and heard you this morning uh, make the point that without the, 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 the reasoning, you know, which you know, underpinned that decision of the Supreme Court in respect of the equation was available, uh, you were not in a position to, to ask any question. And so you subsequently deferred your questions until uh, um, those reasons were made available. But here we are. The chairman of your committee is saying that he has no justification or there is this reason is not justification enough uh, uh, to, to defer the vetting or, or approval of, of, of the nominee. What, what do you think? Well, I mean, uh, good, good evening to, to you and then to your listeners. Uh, basically, we have a simple task, which is to assess uh, suitability for the post of uh, Chief Justice of the Republic of Ghana. And we raised a very fundamental question about the way that the court operates. One, we made it clear that this is a constitutional court, which is a political body, as much as it is an appellate court. And as a constitutional court, which is a political body, sometimes they will have to be sensitive to political issues and work towards uniting the country. And we gave them the indication that, look, on a matter like Justice Quisson's case, 
we needed certainty. We needed to understand the basis for the decisions that they they they, they took. And so, since she was a member of the panel, and it was a unanimous decision, um, we wanted to hear the reasoning and be informed by that as one of the considerations that would inform the decision of our side to either vote for her or vote against her nomination. And um, I hear arguments about, oh, but it is a unanimous decision. She could be the one writing. It could be a different person writing. But that doesn't matter. Once it is a unanimous decision, whoever writes, writes on behalf of all of them. And if you don't agree with any aspect of the reasoning, as a judge, you reserve a right to agree with the outcome, but give your own reasoning separately from what the rest of your colleagues will present as their reason. So you are not dissenting, but your reasoning is different from the reasoning of your colleagues, even though you agree on the outcome of the decision. So, you know, unless you don't understand how the Supreme Court functions, it will be interesting to say that because she's not writing the ruling herself, then uh, she cannot be held accountable for what comes out as the reasoning. Any member of a unanimous panel is accountable for the reasoning, unless you decide that you have a separate reason for coming to your conclusion. And so we wanted to use the reasoning as the litmus test in terms of, you know, uh, what to expect of her as uh, chief justice. And they just wouldn't budge. And we said, look, parliament is resuming on the 6th. Uh, the Supreme Court said they will give their reasons on the 7th. So just give us up to the 7th. Let's hear, because we don't believe that you will be rushing, you know, with the report on the 6th for Parliament to take it and approve her on the 6th. Uh, when the Supreme Court is giving a ruling on the 7th, and we say just wait till the 7th and let's hear it, and give us an opportunity to uh, re-examine her based on that, they said no. We said okay. Just still wait till the seventh and let us hear the reasoning, and then we will communicate our decision to you. And they said no. They must take a decision, and if we are not ready to take a decision at that point, then they are going to recommend her for approval by majority decision. In which case, they are the ones who are going to be presenting her for voting. Because if you don't present a consensus report and you present a majority decision report, it means that she's going to be voted on on the floor. The report will be debated, it could be rancorous, and then there will be a vote. Uh, you might think that you will have your way, but you never know. So we didn't want to subject her to that whole exercise. We just wanted to make the political point that, you know, always give your reasons at the same time that you are giving your ruling in politically contentious matters uh, so that people can decide if they should live with the, the decision. But they've taken their stand. We have taken a position that until we hear the reasoning, we will not be able to tell them what our position is on the matter.
Yes, but but it, it, you know you know this is not unusual for a Supreme Court to defer uh, um, the, the, the reasons for a decision. And you, you mentioned the point about politically rancorous decision. I mean, we saw in the election petition of 2013, the 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 conclusion of the judgment was just read to the court, and the later date was given for for the judgment itself to be ready. I mean, what could be more politically rancorous than an election petition matter? But we just took it that way, and then we ran with it. We were happy with the decision, or maybe we were happy with the date given for the decision, reasoning in the decision to be made available. So to, to hold this against her, I mean, many have said we will not be very fair. Well, the point really is, do you think it's good practice? Do you think that it is fair for a Supreme Court whose authority is based on the moral force underlying their decision. They don't have an army to enforce their decision. We respect their decision because of the soundness of the reasoning. And so it won't be good practice, and they should not be encouraged to continue along a practice where they will just come and say, look, go and behave this way. We'll tell you our reasons later. I mean, they have to be accountable. They have to give us an explanation so that we will happily go and behave the way they say we should behave. And this caucus is making that point to them that you have to consider that sometimes it is important to give your reasons at the time that you are funding the decision so that we will, we will appreciate uh, the value of the conclusions that you have arrived at. In any case, like we said, Parliament is not about to take a decision on her tomorrow morning. Parliament itself is resuming on the 6th. The Supreme Court said they will give their reasons on the 7th. So we told our colleagues that just wait till the 7th. And let's see, we haven't decided either way. We haven't said we are not going to approve her. We haven't said we are approving her. We have simply said, wait till we hear the conclusion, the reasons that the Supreme Court has given for the decision. And then we'll ask a few more questions on it. We might just hear the arguments that the court has given and then the reasons that they have given. And then we might just conclude, well, your reasons are, uh, are fair. The last time we went to the Supreme Court on the e-levy, we put in an application for uh, an interim injunction to restrain the finance minister from collecting the tax until... Uh, first time that I think the legislation was passed or something. And, you know, until our, our application to the Supreme Court was considered and a ruling given. And then the court said, look, uh, we will not grant your application. The reason is this. If we grant your application and then he doesn't collect the money and later on we rule against you, he will not be able to collect that money. But if we um, do not grant your application, but we tell the finance minister to keep adequate records of the money that he's collecting. If we rule against him, he will refund the money. I mean, we went home satisfied because, you know, the reasons were sound. So, so we went home satisfied. So it's good that you, you let us know why you are, you, are, you, are, you are asking us to behave the way that uh, uh, you're asking us to behave. And we thought that uh, uh, an appointments committee made up of political actors must learn to engage and make the necessary adjustments. Though, I mean, she wouldn't be hurt in any way 
by just waiting till the seventh after the court has given its uh, uh, reasons, and then our colleagues on the other side hear from us on what our thoughts are on the matter. But if they insist that they want to subject her to uh, voting at plenary, <laughs> you may think that you know you have the NDC side in a corner, but you, you don't know what the outcome will be. I mean, I, I don't have anything really against uh, Justice uh, uh, Gertrude. I, I, I think she's an excellent Supreme Court judge, but then we also have a duty as a minority caucus to engage in a proper scrutiny before we give our stamp of approval. Yes, but do, do I get an impression that you are using uh, uh, or you are seeking to reform this practice of the Supreme Court by deferring their, their reasons for later uh, using the talk on new opportunities, you said it's not good practice. So, is it the case that you are seeking to use this opportunity to 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 force a reform of that particular practice? If you recall, CTFM, the day they gave their judgment, your station called me. You wanted us to discuss the same judgment, but you yourself said that because they did not give their reasoning, it was difficult to discuss the judgment. Go and check your record. Play your your, your interview of I think the seventeenth of of May when they handed the, the judgment. You you will hear what you yourself said and what I said because you yourself couldn't discuss the judgment because you said well the the reasons hadn't been given so it's difficult for anyone to discuss the judgment. So we all deferred discussion discussion of the judgment waiting for the reasons. I, I see. I mean, of course, and you are right. Um, I mean, in terms of that that interview and a quote of, of a quote from you in that interview we had said, um, I, "I have been a critic of the Supreme Court taking decisions without reasoning and even allowing time before they give judgment." In political child cases, you continue to say it would be uh, it would do the Supreme Court image good if they took their time to give decisions and the reasoning at the same time so that it will not allow all sorts of interpretation. Yes, I, I get that. It's been your position. So but I've it, been it, it, Yes, I've been of, no, 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 no problem with that. But I'm just saying that doesn't it, isn't it unfair on her to use this opportunity provided by her vetting to seek to cause a reform in a bigger system? That, that would be unfair to her. She's supposed to go and head that system. She's supposed to go and head that system. So if there's anybody who is most suitable to be used as an agent to reform the system, then it is her. So if we hold her on for one week, next time she's uh, presiding as a chief justice or she's impaneling a court to take a decision in a politically charged matter, she will probably give them better advice because she will be uh, she would have directly experienced the consequences of engaging in that. So yeah, I mean, she has become a victim of something that her, her institution, you know, does, but she's part of the institution and, and she's, she's aspiring to head that institution. And so there's no better candidate for uh, making the point to than her. I, I see. Uh, but how about people who think that the minority just wants something to hold on to, something to, to oppose the process, you know, for opposition's sake, given that many have said she's, you know, uh, she, she's, she's, yeah, she's discharged herself creditably, and so there's nothing really to dent her with. So the minority is trying to hold on to this to 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 dent her image or to to obstruct the process for 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 her smooth sailing to the position of chief justice. That's what they may say, but we've also advanced our reason. 
And I believe that there are many people who will also agree with our reasons. I see. So, before you go, what will be your assessment of her, the answer she gave to the issue of LGBT, uh, capital punishment, and a lot of those other things, e-justice, etc.? What will be your general assessment of the candidate uh, uh, who, who was before you today, or the nominee who was before you today? I think she's an excellent um, uh, Supreme Court judge. I think she's good. Um, I've looked at her CV, and I think that she has the building blocks uh, of what it takes to be uh, a great reformer in terms of justice delivery. I think the whole world is moving towards uh, digitization. The whole world is moving towards uh, online and virtual justice delivery systems in order to promote access uh, to justice at the cheaper cost and etc. And she seems to to be very much on top of um, the e-justice uh, program and understands the issues very well. And uh, looking at her CV and the many training programs that she's she's been through, I think she she has what it could take to 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 carry out very significant reforms in terms of uh, justice. Uh, uh, delivery. So I, I personally, to be frank with you, I don't have an issue with uh, uh, candidature. But it's not just, you know, administrative competence. It's not just, you know, uh, technological savviness and etc. You know, we also should realize that um, this is the Chief Justice and her position on the law, her position on the Constitution uh, is a significant issue. And in this quizzing case, there are very significant matters that uh, have been thrown out there for the court to decide on. Uh, questions about citizenship, about dual citizenship, about the rights of you know dual citizens to participate in our political uh, process and and to be parliamentarians and etc. I mean, they are very interesting and to some extent nuanced constitutional issues that are embedded. And I I believe that that is why it is taking them time to put together their, their reasons. And you know that we need to test her also in terms of uh, the quality of her legal philosophy. And so, yes, I look at the CV, it's impressive. I have no doubt that she would make a good administrator in terms of uh, justice delivery. But we just wanted to hear the quality of the reasoning in the question case, in addition to the many other things that she would have done and take a decision. We didn't say we are rejecting her. We didn't say we are approving her. We just said, give us time to uh, hear your reasoning in this particular case. And we can take that on board in taking a, a decision. And she's not running out of time because Parliament itself is, is on recess. So it's not as if tomorrow morning Parliament is going to take that decision. So we really didn't understand the basis of the hurry of the the chairman of the committee. And I think that if if she's dragged to plenary and she's going to be voted upon, it is the chairman of the committee that would have visited that upon her. All right. Um, I, I'm grateful for your time. Thanks so much for, for speaking to us on Eyewitness News. We hope that 
I mean, uh, uh, you, 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 you will do what you have to do so we have a substantive chief justice soon. Eyewitness News on 97.3 uh, City FM. Uh, justice uh, Tokonu uh, has actually been speaking about a number of issues. You know, she, she addressed quite a number of issues, uh, key amongst them being uh, the situation with JUSAG. As you may well know, JUSAG has been on strike and uh, been calling for approval of some uh, proposed salary increment uh, by the president. They claim the process is not moving as fast as they think it should move. And so at a vetting today, uh, Justice Gertrude Eraba Isaba Saki Tokonu says he's confident that justice delivery uh, will get back working soon. The strike that was pronounced recently, um, to the best of my knowledge, and not just briefing, but personal knowledge, matters are under control. We've had meetings with them. We are one family, and um, I believe that very soon we will see the court doors open. In respect of the strike which you have just made, what is the specific issue on which the judicial service staff have gone astray? It's about the review of salaries. There is a structure for the review of salaries on a biannual basis. And that, pro that process started. And staff, I think, uh, are of the opinion that it's going too slowly. And this is why they've gone on strike. But the process is very much going on. And yesterday, we were in meetings. So you had uh, Justice uh, Tokonu there. She's also been speaking about a number of things. Uh, she was answering a question by the vetting committee on the delay in the written judgment of the Supreme Court uh, on their order for the name Justice Jichi uh, Kwesin to be expanded from the records, which we just discussed with, with Mama Yaraka. But let's hear what she herself said on the matter. I have given hundreds of judgments from high court till now. And I think that it would have been a really great relief to know that I am assessed on my work as a whole. And then two, the judgments of the Supreme Court. You know, the Supreme Court is not a court unless five people are sitting. And in constitutional matters, we are seven. So seven people are working together. And that's why very often, in, indeed, almost invariably, every judgment given by the Supreme Court comes out, the reasons come out long after the orders and the rulings, because that's how we work. Everybody has to check the jots and the titles before you get the final script. Who view the position that it appears that you, the decision is being imposed on one person? You are not even the presiding judge to start with. And secondly, secondly, assuming without admitting that you are the one writing the judgments, I'm not, a, I'm not saying you are the one writing the judgment. Is it the decision of the justice writing the judgments? Is it, are you the one who volunteers or is the presiding judge who, who nominates somebody to write the judgments? Thank you very much. Lord. My Lord, you can ignore the first part of the question. That's the second part that you may answer. Well, because this is a public hearing, I thought that I should answer 
uh, I should inquire about how he seems to have seen the rule judgment because I haven't seen it. <laughs> I, we, I, I know, you see, the way that the, our court works, the way our court works, we sit in conference, we, we, sit, we sit in conference over every decision, every matter before us. As I said, it's not a court unless there are five people or seven people. And so all these people will sit in conference. Everybody will present their position, their evaluation. We will agree the orders, the conclusion. We will craft the orders and the rulings. We will share it. Everybody will approve and then it will be written. Sometimes, I have actually been on a panel in which different judges wrote different parts of the judgment. It was a very interesting experience. Sometimes one person will write it. Sometimes more than two people will write it. And in this particular situation, we had concluded on our orders and rulings, and we gave that to the public. And the judgment is currently a work in progress. So you heard Justice uh, Gertrude Tokonu, uh, Supreme Court nominee, um, some of the answers she gave when she appeared today before the Appointments Committee of Parliament. Uh, a few of your messages that have been coming through, uh, Paul Aka Jr. in a half a meme says the Chief Justice nominee has defended her new position well, then minority must not use the expansion MPs issue to try to sabotage or pull her legs. Uh, after all, she was not chair to the panel of the seven judges who sat on the case. She is fit for the job and must be approved. Baba, chairman in Tamale, said the NDC must understand that they cannot stampede the, the judiciary into releasing the judgment of the Jesse Quaysing case. Uh, they must stop the... Uh, okay, I, I think you wanted to say something. All right, um, Collins from Kofuria says, the NDC minority in parliament can't hold the whole country to ransom with some of the unpopular demands. What kind of behavior is that? Gastiman in Brikum says, so if... There was no ruling recently. The minority wouldn't have had any questions to ask a woman. Uh, if they need answers to the ruling, what stops them from going to the Supreme Court again? Uh, they are losing focus, you say. As Alex Duane in London says, it's a good call from the minority side. Kweku in La Paz says, our Supreme Court is abusing its powers. This government has politicized uh, every institution in Ghana, you say. Holy in Borga says, I think the minority's position is sound. Given the role the Supreme Court plays in the peace and security of Ghana, their reasons for taking certain decisions must be sound and known to all. Eyewitness News on 97.3 City FM. We understand the minority has released a statement on this matter. We'll take a short break. When we return, we'll delve into that statement. Don't go away. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. Eyewitness News on 97.3 uh, City FM. Your comments are welcome via this 
uh, 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 WhatsApp number 0549 um, on Twitter. Um, you, you can tweet at me at Salom Adunu and the hashtag as always is City Newsroom. The minority has been speaking on the matter, you know, expressing an official position on the Justice Gertrude Tokonu uh, vetting and indeed their position is being that, uh, you know, they want a second bite at the cherry and that that should happen after the decision or the reasons behind the judgment in the recent Jechikwesin case is made available. They want to see it because Justice Tokonu was on that panel. And so once it was a unanimous decision, it meant that anything or everything in that judgment or how they arrived at the conclusions they shared on the 17th of May uh, regarding the name of the MP in question, Jechikwesin being expunged, from the records of parliament she would have been party to it because it was a unanimous decision uh, my colleague richie sky was in parliament today and he has a copy of, of that position by the minority he joins us on the line hello richard what has the minority really been saying beyond uh, the view they expressed uh, at the committee well a uh, short while ago the minority chief with the honorable kwame governs Abuja issued a statement which statement uh, states the position of the minority regarding this particular matter and the statement is titled Minority Position on Vetting of Chief Justice Nominee. And it goes on to say uh, that the minority members on the Appointments Committee of Parliament did not vote on the President's nominee for the position of Chief Justice today due to the unavailability of the reasoned judgment of the Supreme Court in the matter of Honorable James Jachikwesen. Now, it is important to state that the Appointments Committee, not long ago, in 2019, vetted and approved this same nominee as a Justice of the Supreme Court. However, it was imperative for members of the minority on the committee to evaluate the decisions of the nominee on all other cases, including the James Jatikwesen case, since the vetting in 2019. Now, we successfully evaluated the nominee on all relevant criteria, except the outstanding matter of James Jechikwesen, which would enable us come to a decision. We expect the reasoned judgment of the court on this matter by the 7th of June, 2023, to finalize our decision. We have duly communicated our challenge to our colleagues on the majority side and expect their cooperation. And signed the Honorable Kwame Governs Abuja Minority Chief. So, tell them, I mean, from the statement that has been issued by the minority, they appear to communicate the position that it is not as though they have any issue necessarily with the nominee, but that their decision to withhold what their view is as to whether to approve or not to approve will be based on the availability of this judgment that they expect by the 7th of June 2023. Uh, failing which, um, we would have to then uh, ask them as to what exactly they will be their, that will be, will be their position going forward. Uh, I spoke to quite a number of them uh, after the committee meeting, and they explained to me that, strictly speaking, the uh, nominee uh, discharged herself very well before the committee. The only issue they have is the absence of that judgment. And once that judgment is made available, once they read it and they are informed as to what exactly the reasons were for the decision taken by the Supreme Court, they would then announce their decision regarding whether or not the nominee should be approved. And then also, I must also state that 
you will notice that much earlier during the sitting of the committee, the minority leader had indicated that they would love another opportunity to actually um, interrogate the nominee on the basis of what they read in the judgment. But that window appears closed now, given that the chairman of the committee, the Honorable Jose Usu, discharged the nominee as opposed to suspending the sitting of the uh, committee. So that effectively having been closed, that chapter having been closed, it seems that uh, whatever the issue would be regarding the nominee and the judgment, therefore, would have to be taken up on the floor of parliament during the plenary. So, I, I see. So, so it does appear that if the minority is not happy with the with the with the reasoning of the court in that matter, they, they are ready to push it to the very end, debate it, and possibly vote on it. Yes. So technically, they were looking for an opportunity to read the judgment, and on the basis of that, have a second bite at the cherry during which they would actually interrogate the nominee based on the judgment that has been delivered by the Supreme Court. But as I indicated earlier, that chapter is now closed. So the only opportunity they would have now to vent their concerns regarding whatever would have formed the basis for the decision that the Supreme Court made would be at the plenary, going onto the floor during a consideration of this uh, matter properly on the floor of Parliament. Uh, and raise their, their issues there, by which time the nominee would not even be before them. It would just be concerns that would be raised on the floor and read into the records of the House. They were actually looking for another opportunity to actually grill the nominee, but that chapter is effectively closed. And the only way to address their concerns would be to take the matter uh, to the floor. And um, that is what it is, Hello. All right, so, so I mean, the Parliament resumes... On the 6th of June, and, and the Supreme Court indicated that the reasons were going to be available on the 7th. Why was it so difficult for the two sides to agree in a manner that would have made them shift the vetting of, of the justice uh, to maybe after the 7th of June? Was that a difficult? Was that a difficulty really? In fact, I put this question to a number of the minority MPs that if indeed this was the government of, of, of their concerns, why did they not insist on deferring the vetting until after the document or the judgment became available? Um, their responses were that, well, I mean, they appreciated where I was coming from, except that, you know, ultimately it did not happen like that. Some of them actually conceded that it was an error on their part to have actually come into today's vetting and not having insisted on the, 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 the vetting being deferred until after the judgment becomes available. I also interrogated the aspect having to do with whether or not this is a question of law and procedure, or it's just a question of politics. Well, they argue that, well, there is convention in the House that in you know, appropriate cases, nominees will be asked to submit further documentation or further particulars to the committee before a decision is made. So while it may not be rooted in hard law, the precedent is there that in specific cases or in some cases, it becomes necessary for the committee to ask for further and better particulars regarding specific matters that come before the House. And that is the route that they decided to use. But um, they will continue to insist on seeing this particular judgment before ultimately giving their decision 
on whether to approve or not to approve. But it is important to state that their position is that they are not against the nominee. They don't have anything against the nominee, strictly speaking. They want to see the judgment delivered by the Supreme Court, and based on that, they will take an informed position. Thank you very much, Richard Sky. Uh, my colleague here at CTFM, he was at the uh, vetting of the uh, just, Chief Justice nominee, Gertrude Tokonu, earlier today, and he's interacted with a number of the MPs on both sides regarding the position taken by the minority that uh, they will want to see the reasons uh, given by the Supreme Court in the recent Jechikwisin matter before they decide to approve of her or not. Meanwhile, the majority side um, has decided to go ahead and uh, approve the nominee by a majority vote, which means that uh, the report will be laid before Parliament, the report will be debated, and possibly a vote will be taken on the matter. Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. Now, uh, still staying with matters of justice delivery, uh, the Judicial uh, 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 Staff Association of Ghana embarked on strike two days ago, and as we speak, all activities at the courts across the country have ground to a halt. Uh, justice delivery uh, is, 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 is ground to a halt. Indeed, Justice Tokonu today spoke about it. And we also understand that there has been some discussions here and there with the leadership of JUSAC to get them to call off the strike so that uh, you know, activity at the courts could resume. Uh, General Secretary of the Judicial, uh, 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 the JUSAC, is joining us on the line, Abdullah Yakubu, to help us really appreciate what has happened between uh, um, when the strike was declared and now, and whether we are ready to go back to court on, on Monday. Hello, good evening, sir. Welcome to Eyewitness News. Um, the Judicial Secretary issued a statement yesterday and said that a meeting is being uh, slated for between you and the other stakeholders for 31st May 2023, which is sometime around Wednesday. And so because a meeting is being called and the stakeholders would attend, you should call up the strike. That should be the way to go, shouldn't it? Um, we respect the call by the Judicial Secretary for us to meet, and we are highly appreciative of the intervention that is coming from management. However, the meeting that has been called itself is a work in progress and not an end into meeting our demands. So we respect that call. We will want to wait when we get to the meeting, depending on what is put on the table before us. We evaluate it and see the prospects of it to meeting our demand, then we can take a decision. But, but you cannot be on strike whilst you negotiate, or this meeting is not about negotiation. We don't even know the agenda for the meeting per se. We know it is about the strike. It is not the strike that we want. It is the money that we want. So if a meeting is called about the strike and it's say we should call it off, then we should be looking at the other side also. So what, what, what really uh, do you want? you want the money to hit your account or you, you want an assurance that the money will be paid? At least when we get the approval and the payment plan, that should be sufficient for us to call off the strike. What, what are you putting on the table? What percentage increment are you calling for? You know, we, we negotiate for two years. So after this year, we will not have the chance to negotiate in 2024. What we're going to get is going to be for two years. So we submitted a proposal of 55% for over the two-year period. 55% or 65%? 55%. Okay. 
And so that is the proposal. But have you heard anything from the office of the president in respect of this proposal, whether you have to reconsider it or whether the president will respond to you in due course? For now, no. We've not had any official information from there. So since you called, since you, you embarked on this action, have you spoken to any official from government? What have they been telling you? Uh, as in official communication with government? Yes, maybe a minister, the minister for finance, the attorney general or, or labor minister oh, or somebody there, trying there to are, call around the table. There are some engagements in the quiet. But the, if you have any engagement that is not given us what we are looking for, we will still want to uh, hold on until we have a formal engagement and then know exactly the roadmap to get meeting our demands. Then we can take a decision. But, but are you not concerned that you, your strike is, is, is creating a lot of difficulties for people who are actually unconnected to the issues you are raising? For example, uh, there are people who, who, who must be admitted to bail, you know, in the court, that is not happening. Their rights are being trampled upon because they've been in custody beyond 48 hours, etc. You, you are not concerned about that? We are very much concerned about these people. That was why we decided that uh, when the Labour Commission gave us the 14 days window to resolve the matter, we had to respect it. Even though we knew that government was not going to invite us, they were just doing their own thing. We still had to respect it that because of the rights of people, how it will be affected whenever we are on strike. So we have to compromise all that long, hoping that how we care for the welfare of uh, people or the citizens of Ghana in terms of accessing justice, the government can also reason with us in that direction and initiate steps to uh, amicably resolve this matter to avoid us from getting to where we are now. Unfortunately, that did not happen, and we are where we are now. So if we are looking at the, the impact of the strike on the people of Ghana, we should get government to answer the question. Because it's not strike, like I'm saying. It is the demands that we want. I see. Thank you very much, Abdullah uh, Yakubu, uh, for speaking to us. So the next meeting uh, that hopefully you will honor is the one on the 31st, right? Definitely will honor that. But, but, but can you, the, the, the statement which, which announced this meeting also said that uh, you were invited to a meeting yesterday, but you did not show up. Can you confirm that to us? No, it's not that we didn't honor the presence. Then also we observed that staff at the Supreme Court were sitting. The committee meant that we give instructions. They were asked to open court. So it was as if there was some kind of tension and the atmosphere was not conducive for peaceful and amicable settlement of the matter. So at the time the meeting was about, when we observed that thing, it wasn't good for us. So we had to meet and take a, a, a decision as to some of the preliminary issues that we can raise to be addressed before the meeting starts. Unfortunately, by the time we finished our meeting to join them, the meeting had proceeded and ended. So we had to meet... Uh, have some background between the management after their own meeting to agree that we meet on Monday to settle our issues. All right. Thank you very much, Abdullah Akubu, General Secretary of JUSAC. Thanks so much for speaking to us. Eyewitness News on 97.3 City FM. We'll return with more. Don't go away. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. 
let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. You're welcome back. Let's do some more stories. Scores of NPP supporters have thronged the party's headquarters in Accra to throw their weight behind their preferred aspirants ahead of the party's presidential primaries. The NPP today opened nominations for persons seeking to lead the party into the 2024 elections to pick their forms. Already a group calling itself Dr. Baumia Fan Club has picked forms on behalf of the vice president, who they believe can retain power for the NPP. A founding member of the club in Tim Jakari says Dr. Baumia should be given the chance to lead the NPP. And all Ghanaians everywhere know that if we bypass our man of knowledge, if we bypass our man of humility, nobody else. Because of currently the world is in a knowledge world and we need somebody who is so dynamic, who understands the system, who has already initiated a transformational agenda in the country. And we are all living testimony to that fact. So today we are here as a supporting fan to make sure that, in fact, this is a surprise to him because he was expecting that, you know, but then the Bomia fan club decided that they will pay and pick the form, go and present it to our father and our president to be this form. And that is why we have gathered so here. He, today. He's not aware you are doing this. He's not no, aware we are doing this. We are taking him from after payment and everything, we are going to Dubliaf. What if he's made plans already for others to come and pick for him? And you are doing this without his knowledge. No, no, that is why we came early. We came here by five o'clock. So if any team would come, they would come and realize that it has already been paid for. In Tim Jakari's founder of a group calling itself Dr. Baumia Fun Club. Meanwhile, another aspirant, Boachia Jakun, has also picked up forms to contest the polls. One of his aides, Benjamin Alma, tells City News, Boachia Jakun is the NPP's best win. We are very confident that uh, this is the man God has prepared among the, uh, all the men we have in the MPP to succeed our current president, Zanado Danko And we believe that with his cap uh, capability and us without him, the engine of public policy in the MPP, he will be able to help bring hope to the ordinary Ghanaian. He's been campaigning already. He started yes, he has gone around all the system regions of Ghana, and like I said, we, we, are, we are touching the base. That is why you don't see us making a whole lot of noise. We are we are targeting the actual uh, electoral college for the special voting, and by the grace of God, when we go through, we will be able to touch the uh, the grassroots as well for the general election. We confident he will make the first five. By the grace of the Almighty God, Honourable Wachi Jakun will be uh, among the first five. But what's his campaign message? Bringing hope to the ordinary Ghanaian. With, with no malice aforethought, all we are saying is that when you parade your best medical doctors and you put them to test, only one person will win. And we have all the men in the MPP to lead the party. But among them, Honorable Boache Jakun is the best. 
Benjamin Alma is an aide to a flag bearer aspirant of the NPP, Boache Ejakun. He says he's the best bet to win the 2024 elections. In a related development, former General Secretary of the NPP, Kwabneje Ejapon, has also picked forms to contest. Also, former Member of Parliament for Mampon and one of the flag bearer contestants in 2014, Francis Adenimo, has also picked his forms. His spokesperson, George Obeyentry, tells explains why Francis Adenimo will be the President of Ghana in 2025. We are friends of Adainimo. We believe that he is the best person to lead the party into the next general election. Um, if we consider the history of our elections, you will observe that after the second term of any party in government, should they use a member of the outgoing government as the presidential candidate for the next general election, the party always loses. So when you look at in 2000, when NDC used Professor Mills, the then vice president, NDC lost. In 2008, when MPP used the current president, who was then the foreign minister, we lost. In 2016, when NDC used the former president, John Mahama, they lost. So what we are saying is that if MPP can win the next general election, it has to be someone who is not part of this administration. George Obingentry is spokesperson to a flag bearer aspirant of the NPP, Francis Adenimo. Just before we leave, authorities at the Kumasi Technical Institute in the Ashanti region have asked over 500 students to go home for misconduct. The students, who all live in the boarding house, are said to breach the rules and regulations of the school. According to authorities, some yet-to-be-identified students who went on a rampage on May 17 caused damage to school properties. The authorities subsequently asked the students to pack their luggage out of the dormitories and will be made to face the school's disciplinary committee when they are recalled. School authorities will not give further information on the matter, but only said they took action to instill discipline in the school. The authorities are expected to meet the parents of the affected students to brief them on the development. Most of the affected students on Friday left the school, while others were still packing out when City News visited the school. Eyewitness News on 97.3 City FM. City Business News is up next. Don't go away. Get the details. Every significant financial transaction, every market movement, and all the policies that affect your business. City Business News. Be informed. Time now for City Business News on Eyewitness News, powered by citybusinessnews.com. My name is Netele Nete Ajahu. Let's settle for the details now. The Ghana National Chamber of Commerce and Industry is challenging government to create an enabling environment for businesses to thrive in the face of its agreements with the International Monetary Fund. The Chamber maintains the deal, the deal together with its accompanying obligations, such as new taxes and hikes in the cost of utility, will cripple operations if steps are not taken to ensure macroeconomic stability. Mark Biruabwaji, Chief Executive Officer of the Chamber, says to avert an IMF-induced collapse of businesses, governments must keep its eyes on measures that propel inclusive economic growth for the training community. He's been speaking to City Business News. How do we mitigate this negative impact? Much as we want revenue as a country, we should look at also building a resilient economy, an inclusive 
growth economy where businesses are the ones developing the economy. So we need to have now have a discussion on the impact of this IMF. Likely that prices are also uh, going to go up. So we are likely to get a stable macroeconomic environment. But that environment is a necessary but not sufficient condition for economic growth. When you create that environment, now the businesses must be powered, empowered actually to take advantage of that environment to produce. If you use that environment to cripple the businesses, the environment will be there, but you won't get the growth that you want. So you need to ensure that that necessary condition is created and is sufficient enough for businesses to now begin to produce and to thrive and to expand, set up new businesses, employ more people so that you get your revenue. So you don't have to sacrifice the, the private sector for this IMF deal. Mark Bidua Boaji is the CEO of the Ghana National Chamber of Commerce and Industry. The Secretary General of the African Continental Free Trade Area, Wamkiliman, is urging African leaders to leverage on the benefits of the agreement to tackle food security and poverty concerns on the continent. Mr. Mene expressed worry that despite the abundance of raw materials in Africa, food, food shortage is on the ascendancy, with over 20 million Africans suffering severe food shortage. Speaking at the 7th African Leadership Forum in Accra, Wamkele Mene said it is imperative for Africa to significantly cut down on food importation. This geopolitical context, which is of no doing of Africans, has caused food insecurity, rising costs of food across the continent, inflationary pressure on the state of foods, causing millions and millions of Africans to fall back into poverty. The number of people experiencing food insecurity at a moderate or severe level is estimated to have increased from 512 million in 2014 to close to 800 million in 2021. In 2020, over 20 million people and at least 10 million children faced severe food shortage due to crop failure in four consecutive dry seasons. According to the Food and Cultural Organization, Sub-Saharan Africa's food import bill was 50 million United States dollars in the year 2019, an increase of close to 2% from earlier years. The food import bill for the whole continent is estimated to be at about $80 billion per year in the period 2015 to 2017. In terms of international trade, the continent is highly dependent on extra African sources of imports of food and agricultural products. Wamkele Mena is the Secretary General of the African Continental Free Trade Area. Key players in the agri sector want government to channel interventions to farmer-based groups as part of moves to limit the smuggling of farm inputs to neighboring countries. This call, the agri actors say, has become imperative as the implementation of government's agricultural flagship program, the Planting for Food and Jobs, has been plagued with numerous challenges. Here is Wepa Adu Awal Adugla, National President of the Peasant Farmers Association of Ghana. Input should be channeled to the farmer-based organization so that we can directly target our farmer. That will even save government the struggle because you remember part of the fertilizer was always being smuggled across the borders. We are partnered with the government to check those smuggling. But if the inputs are targeted at farmer-based organizations, then we can directly make sure that our members have access to it to be able to produce enough food to feed the nation and ensure that if government will listen to us, they can incorporate those recommendations into the review program going forward. Yeah.
and putting all this together is what has meant. We need to sit there and look at it. And usually we are missed. If government should come out that we have spent so much on planting for food and jobs, then we have to assess what is the impact. What is the impact on the ground? It's very key to us because government says the program is targeted at smallholder farmers. So if you are targeting them, what is our cost of production? What is the program specifically supposed to do? Are we having access to those subsidized inputs on time so we can produce enough to feed the nation? Wepa Adu Awala Douglas, the national president of the Peasants Farmers Association of Ghana. And that's it for City Business News and Eyewitness News. It was powered by your most comprehensive business news website, citybusinessnews.com. My name is Netelinete Ajahu. Up next is Point Blank. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Welcome to the Point Blank segment of Eyewitness News. Tonight on Point Blank, we bring you portions of Justice Gertrude Tokonu's vetting earlier today in Parliament. She touched on a number of issues we've selected a topical ones for you. Enjoy. Congratulations, my lady. Thank um, you. My question one is taken from your answers you gave to this committee as far back as 2019. And the report of the committee on your answers to a question on judicial reforms in Ghana's business environment. You gave an elaborate answer on how our asset register was not properly used, difficulty in judges getting information from the company's registry and so forth. Um, the Companies Act fortunately came into being in 2019. Can you share with this committee some of the challenges you had with the previous act and how this new act has helped with the business environment or reforms that you spoke about when you appeared before us in 2019? Thank you. I, I think that my answer, if I recall collect, correctly, dealt a lot with, the, with properties with properties. And um, the fact that executing judgments was a nightmare because you could hardly guarantee property ownership from the, uh, the records from our land registry and other property registries. The judicial service is constantly engaging with in different programs. And we have been through what we call the Business Enabling Environment Program. We've, we are currently going through the Business Regulatory Regime 
initiatives, both of them with the Ministry of Trade. And in those, and, and in those programs, we, we are responsible for the enforcing contract segments. And what we do is design strategies to um, ensure that our work is made more efficient and then engage other stakeholders to in, in, in who, whose work affects us. So when it comes to property registration, I recall that a few years ago, we requested that through local government, we should have access to the property rates, the property rates registries, so that that could help us verify home ownership during execution processes. So those are some of the initiatives. But I must say that it's in the trial court that the judge really comes face to face with the problems. And so now, and I have been out of the trial court for more than 10 years. So now as an administrator, I'm going to engage seriously again with the problems faced by trial judges so that we can find, some, uh, find solutions. Chairman, uh, my second question is that those around this table are politicians, and when it suits us, we make all sorts of promises to the public for obvious reasons. Um, my lady, um, let me refer you to chapter eight of our constitution. And uh, the chairman doesn't want us to be asking questions that you are knowledge knowledgeable about, but this one is on the, on the, it's about the executive and particularly Article 71.1b, 71.1b, for the benefit of our listening public. Okay. 711B, the salaries, the side notice, determination of certain emoluments, the salaries and allowances payable and the facilities and privileges available to 1B, the Chief Justice and other justices of the Superior Court of Judicature. I looked at Article 290, and found that this chapter is an entrenched provision of our Constitution. And elaborate procedures have been set out for the amendment of those provisions. And this is what most people talk about as, or call the extra gratia. What is your view? Because previously, you spoke about uh, in support of some constitutional reforms and reviews by the Constitutional Review Commission. What is your take on this public debate on ex gratia? Thank you. Which affects your office and the office of other justices of the Superior I think that consistently, the Association of Magistrates and Judges have responded to the question of ex gratia for judges and made it very clear that judges don't receive ex gratia. We, are, we continue in office. We don't go anywhere until we retire. We don't have a cycle. 
and 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 therefore the discussion of S. Gratia is not at all applicable to us. And this specific provision, where our names are mentioned, deals with how our salaries are set. And Article 71, as you know, there's a committee, a presidential committee that does that work. And the framers of con the Constitution thought that that was the appropriate thing to keep us independent. And we are not the only persons subject to it. But you are right that this is an entrenched provision. And it can only be changed by very elaborate procedures. Thank you, my lady. Um, the last question is on your CV. Hobbies, watching movies, obviously Kuma Wood. And uh, I'm sure you like Kuma Wood. Uh, reading writing and evangelism 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 uh, what is evangelism and what do you do do you have time to go out to preach the word of god with this very difficult duty as a justice of the supreme court and now the chief justice domain thank you very much and congratulations Evangelism is informing anyone that salvation lies in no other person than the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Amen. Amen. <laughs> but, and you ask whether I have time. I think that anyone expresses their core beliefs consistently in whatever they do and however they spend their time. I think you, uh, a previous questioner asked me, the honorable member asked me about my book, The Child in the Rainbow. That's a writing that expresses the, my, my faith and I do that all the time. And then I also lace it into my conversations. And I hope that um, anybody listening now will know that. John 316. <laughs> 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 For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Thank you. Hello, the comment at the table is that John 316 means something else to other people. <laughs> In fact, to ask John Tracy still on Apple. Yes, I love our Gaga. There is only one source for John Tracy. Your ladyship, your ladyship, um, if you're given the nod, you'd be the head of the judicial arm of government, one of the three arms. Now, that arm of government has not been spared of criticism. And some of the criticisms can be described as perceptions or real. I'll just give you uh, quite a number of them. First of all, the judiciary has been accused of bias. 
especially when it is um, handling political cases, so to speak. In fact, some have argued that in recent times, the Supreme Court has developed the appetite to hand down unanimous verdicts when it is handling political cases. The judiciary has also been accused of delayed justice delivery. Delayed justice delivery. And unfortunately, corruption. Your Ladyship, if you are given the nod, what steps would you take to erase some of those perceptions, particularly the one that borders on bias when the court is seized with the so-called political cases? Now, this matter gained prominence when our Minister for National Security spoke in a sensitization workshop when the national security strategy was launched. And these were the words of the Minister for National Security. He said, injustice, and I'm quoting him, occasioned as a result of the absence of an effective justice delivery system or delayed justice or biased justice is certainly a threat to national security. Indeed, when justice, injustice abounds, particularly in situations where the bench, which is considered the final arbiter of disputes, is deemed biased, citizens tend to take the law into their own hands, and most times without recourse to the established systems of justice delivery." Unquote. The sources, My Joy Online, dated 8th April 2022. Honorable Ubi Amwa. My Lord, please respond to the question. He asked that his question is, in, I have captured two, bias from unanimous decisions and corruption. There was a second one. Delayed justice. Delayed, yes. All right. On the issue of unanimous decisions, I think that whenever you encounter a unanimous decision, it tells you that the law is totally on the side of the position taken by the court. Yeah. That every member of the court, in fidelity to their judicial oath, cannot take a different position. It tells you that that is what the law is. So the only response is to learn from what the law says. So it's not a matter of bias. It's a matter of the legal position. So you had Chief Justice nominee, Gertrude Tokonu, expressing her views earlier today when she appeared before the Appointments Committee of Parliament. That's our show for tonight. She was produced by Nana Kobna Welsing, Beverly London, and Sami Wiafi. Technical assistance by Daniel's question. 
You also heard Eno Safu. Make a date with me tomorrow on the big issue at 9 a.m. where we look at the topical issues that came up in the course of the week. My name is Salom Adonu. Up next is Sports Panorama. Have a good evening. City News. We speak first. Reach our hotline on 0302-224959. And get interactive on Facebook, City 97.3 FM, and on Twitter at City 973.